0: We were going to take a break from James, and we're going to finish uh, the James series, but I really felt like um, we, we needed to focus in on prayer. So over the next five weeks, we're going to break down, and we're going to talk about prayer, and what does prayer look like? How do we pray the Lord's way, and, and what we have been called to do as Christians. And I, I don't think that there's a greater time uh, than ever before that we need to make sure that we are on our knees, that we are praying to the Lord uh, for guidance, for healing in our land, um, whether it be during the coronavirus, whether it be uh, with everything that's going on um, with, with uh, the George Floyd death uh, and, and all of those that, that come along with that. We, we need to be praying that we can heal as a nation, that we can receive uh, the, the, the blessings that we need because there's so much hurt that is happening in our world today. So this morning, I want us to dig in to find the way that we, we can pray the way that the Lord has called us. So we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 11. Um, The Lord's Prayer is found both in Luke 11 and in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be looking at the Luke chapter 11 section. Um, You know, prayer is um, something that comes second nature to us as, as Christians, but not everyone is familiar with prayer. There were two men that were walking along the road one day, and one guy challenged his buddy. He said, if you're so religious, quote the Lord's Prayer. And if you quote it word for word, I'll give you 10 bucks. The second guy responded, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. The first guy pulled out his wallet. He fished out $10 and he muttered, I didn't think you could do it. Now, before we launch into our text here this morning, I want to address whether Jesus intended us to repeat this prayer verbatim. Have we been called just to recite the Lord's Prayer, or is it just a guide for us? Let's, let's talk about that. On the one hand, we are to pray Scripture, and, and, and it's great if you can just sit down and just pray Scripture right back to God. Receive it back to Him who has given that word to us. But let's take a look at three reasons why we're not required to recite this prayer as the Lord's Prayer. Number one, as we read through this, the disciples said, teach us how to pray. The disciples didn't say, they didn't go to Jesus and say, teach us a prayer, but they said, teach us how to pray. They wanted to know how to pray to God. The second thing is Jesus warns us against repetitive prayers. In fact, in the verses preceding um, the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, this is what we read in verse 7. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do. You see, God is not impressed by how many words we use that we can just recite the same prayer over and over and over again. There is no formula for praying an effective prayer. Um, there is the what we want to break down today, but it's not just about repetition. You see, the formula for praying is talking to God. It's like a phone conversation. You know, um, if, if I have my phone and I want to call one of my friends and I pick up the phone and I, I, I put the conversation and, and I start it and I, I dial the number and I go, oh, Rodney, oh, Rodney, oh, Rodney, most wonderful friend and, and confident, oh, Rodney, please share with me your, your insights and wisdom and, and give me gracious knowledge. Now, If that was the way that I called Rodney every day, one of two things are going to happen. One, he's going to quit taking my phone calls. Or Rodney is going to look forward to that every single day because it's going to just give him a big head that I I use such great language. You see, whenever I call Rodney, whenever you call that friend of yours that you just feel is that confident in your life, Rodney wants me to know that he's a real person. He wants me to have a real conversation. He wants to hear how things are going in my life. Rodney likes to listen. As much as Rodney likes to talk, Rodney loves to listen. He's my friend. I'm I'm pretty sure he likes me, but I'm not fully for sure about that. You see, when you talk to your friends, they want to, conversation when you talk to the lord he wants a conversation when you talk to jesus he wants a conversation with you when you talk to god the father he wants that conversation listen i'm not for sure whether rodney likes me or not when he answers my phone call but this is the one thing that i know without a shadow of a doubt the father god loves it when i call him and he wants to have that conversation, and he wants it to be completely personal. It's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. The third reason that I know that he doesn't want us just to be repetitious is that this prayer is not repeated verbatim anywhere else in the scriptures. Matthew and Luke are different in the way that they recorded what Jesus said. But if it was something that they were supposed to record and repeat verbatim, word for word, if it was a prayer that we were supposed to pray, then they would have been dead on word for word with one another. And that's what I want us to look at today how do we pray the way that jesus prayed jesus was in constant communication with the father he would sometimes get up early before everyone else and he would go away and pray he would go to into the mountains and he would pray by himself his disciples knew what he was doing you see we must begin with god when we pray And I don't always do this. So I want you to understand that as I tell you all the time, any sermon that I preach to you, I've already preached to myself. I've already convicted myself. The Holy Spirit, through these words, convicts me. And this is just another one of those messages. I'm not trying to guilt you into praying better or praying harder. I don't want you to give you just some easy steps to have a better prayer life. I want us to pray the way that Jesus prayed. And we have to find that jumping off point. And that's what we're going to do is, as we break this down. Because as I said many times, we just jump right in. We want to just start giving God everything that we have. We don't want to start with Father. We don't want to start with "Hallowed be your name. We just want to go, God, this is going on in my life, and this is what's wrong, and God, you need to fix it, and God, give me this, and God, give me that. But we never just start with God. Sometimes we do. So let's look at the standard or the pattern that Jesus prayed. Look, Look at Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Jesus was a continual source of amazement to his followers. They watched and they listened to everything that he did. I mean, you could almost set the scene here. Jesus is off alone They know what he's doing. They know what he's been doing. Maybe they've even been listening in. And then one of the disciples, we're not told which one, but one of the disciples goes to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, teach us to do what you're doing. And there's a few things that strike me about what happens here in in verse one. Number one, one of the disciples brings up the subject of prayer, not Jesus. And that's very interesting. Even though Jesus considered prayer vitally important, he did not initiate the conversation with the disciples. Why would this be? I think it was because he wanted the disciples to come to their own conclusion how important prayer really is. By the way, this is the only time in the Gospels that we read that the disciples go to Jesus and ask him to teach them something. And they could have said, hey, Jesus, teach us how to preach a better sermon. Jesus, teach us how to be good teachers. Yet, the one time that we hear of them going and saying, Jesus, teach us, is about prayer. It's the only subject that they do this on. Secondly, Jesus knew the power of a good example. It's no accident that the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray at the very time that he was speaking to the Lord. It was during those moments that they said, hey, teach us to pray. Verse 2 begins with, when you pray, say. Even though it was just one disciple's one of the disciples, we get the word that it is a plural pronoun that's used here. Teach us to pray. And Jesus says, When you all pray. And this is interesting. Most of us come to the Lord with a lot of I, me, and my. But when we read this, Jesus says, give us our daily bread. Forgive us our. Our sins. We also forgive. Lead us not in to temptation. So let's look at each of the elements of, of prayer. The first element that we have here is the paternity of prayer. He starts here, Father. That's just how he starts. Let, let's just talk about that word father for a second. Father is probably the most common term. That we use, term that we use in prayer. And rightfully so. Jesus, when he prayed, used this term 70 times. The only prayer he ever prayed without using the word for father is when he cries out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was only in sin bearing that he was separated from the father. And he's quoting scripture here. And my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's no longer father at that moment. The term also indicates a childlike trust in our heavenly father. We go to him and, and the word that's translated here is Abba. It doesn't just mean that term of father, father. No, it's daddy. There's nothing better than when my little girl calls me daddy. And, and, and when she comes in, she's 13 years old, and I've made it very clear to her, I don't care how old you are, when you say that word daddy, it just melts my heart. Now, on the other hand, I have an almost 17-year-old, and his mom says, hey, go tell daddy it's time to eat. Mom, I don't call him daddy anymore. It's Dad because he doesn't want that, because he sees it as a, a child term. But I see him as still being my little boy, no matter what he thinks. You see, when we become Christians, Romans chapter 8, verse 15 says that we receive the Holy Spirit who makes us children of God, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. As such, we don't have to approach him with big, churchy, formal words. He wants us to embrace him as father, as dad, as daddy. He wants us to have that fear and trembling, but not out of retribution or shame. He wants us to come boldly into his presence, having the confidence that he is eager to hear our prayers. Father. That's where we start. But then we have the priority of prayer. After acknowledging God as our father, Jesus now instructs us to use him as holy, to view him as holy. We read that, Father, hallowed be your name. You see, God's nature is like a daddy, but his name is still holy. He's not just the big guy in the sky. He's not just our buddy. He's not just our homeboy our homeboy. He's not somebody that we just hang with. He's not fly or whatever other words they use today. They probably don't even use fly. He is holy. He is the awesome God of Israel before whom we should tremble like Isaiah did in Isaiah chapter 6. Even though he is my loving father and does meet my needs, my first petition is to go to him on his behalf. Hollowed be your name. This is a safeguard. It's a safeguard to remember who he is, and not just that this prayer is some self-seeking prayer. You see, to make something hollow, it, it carries two basic ideas in the Greek. The the first means to make an ordinary thing extraordinary by bringing it in contact with something extraordinary. That's how it's used in 1 Peter chapter 16, where God says, be holy because I am holy. When we come in contact, we're ordinary. When we come in contact with that which is holy, that elevates us to be holy. We're unholy by... but by coming into contact with the one who is holy, we can be made holy. The second meaning for hollow uh, means to treat something or someone as set apart or separated. Friends, we have to guard against becoming flippant or shallow in our view of God. We need to make sure that we see him as being separate. He still wants a conversation. He still wants us to talk to him. He still wants to be there for us. But while he is dad and daddy, he is still holy all at the same time. Martin Luther said that God's name is made holy among us when both our doctrines and our living are truly Christian. So I have two questions for you. Are we approaching God with holy reverence, awe, respect when we pray? Are we hollowing God by the way in which we are living? Number three, the program of prayer. The third part of this prayer, your kingdom come. You see, prayer is not asking God to do my will. It is bringing myself into conformity with his program praying the lord's prayer does not mean letting god in our plans but calling for god to fulfill his plans not saying hey god i have this plan and it would be great if you would be a part of it what it actually is saying is god i'm making a mess of my life and i need you to be the center of my life and that's what this means the word kingdom in the Greek means rule or reign. I think a better translation than the word for kingdom uh, it would, is, is to rule or to reign. Because the word makes us think of knights and castles and, and all of those different things when we think of kingdom, but when we think of to rule or to reign, to pray your kingdom come is to pray that God may take up reigning residence in our hearts in our lives. We are rebelling against him, but we are saying, God, yes, we are falling apart. Yes, God, we don't have everything together. Will you come in and will you reign over my life? God, I give it over to you. How is one qualified to pray your kingdom come? It starts by changing our citizenship, by giving our life over to him. That's where it has to start. It's then how we live out that citizenship. First, we start by becoming a citizen of heaven, by giving our life over to him. And then it is living it out. And then thirdly, it is by commitment that we will commit to say that I'm going to live the rest of my life for you, Lord. That's what it's all about. What is the fourth provision of prayer? The fourth provision, or the fourth is the provision of prayer. The first half of of this model prayer is all Godward. Everything so far is about your kingdom come, hallowed be your name. I'm going to call you father or dad. But now the second half focuses on us as believers. You see, once God has given his rightful place in our hearts, then we have the proper perspective towards ourselves. This magnificent section of prayer covers our whole being, body, soul, and spirit. Give us each day our daily bread. That refers to our body. Forgive us our sins. That speaks of our soul. And lead us not into temptation It deals with our spirit. So let's break this down. Give us each day our daily bread. Now, at first glance, when we read this, it may seem irrelevant to to most of us. While there certainly are people right here in our community, and it's why we do um, our, our serve food drives, it's why we're still collecting All of that food, and I encourage you, you can still drop it off here at the church. You can take it directly to serve. I encourage you to make sure that you are doing so. And we would think, well, you know, for the most part, we're doing good. As a country, we're doing all right. Most of the time, we don't have to wonder where our next meal is coming from. But this request has more to do with the totality of our physical life. The word bread is really a broad term, meaning all of our physical needs. You see, when we pray, give us each day our daily bread, we are saying that we trust God as our source, as our supplier of our physical needs. God doesn't just take care of our spiritual needs and and, and we go to him whenever we're having problems with sin. He wants to take care of our physical needs, body, soul, mind, all coming together. You see, in the first century, bread had to be made on a daily basis. You know, we go to the store now and we buy a a loaf of bread and it will go for quite a while. And, And we could even buy extra bread, freeze it, and get it out later and use it later but that wasn't the case back then bread had to be made in the first century on a daily basis to where they were always having it and so when we pray this section of the prayer when we are doing this we are saying God give us provisions take care of our daily needs Friends, if we don't ask God to give us what we need every day, we will gradually succumb to the delusion that we actually can provide for all of our needs. If if, if we don't give ourselves over to him, it is very easy for us to just think that we can do all of this on our own. We only need God for the serious stuff which isn't really that often in most of our lives. And here's the danger in thinking like this. Pride can well up with inside of us and suddenly pull us away from our trust in God. So we need to make sure that we go to him and we say, hey, God, we need you to take care of our daily needs, not just the big things, but in everything along the way. Number five, the pardon of prayer, the pardon of prayer. The, the next phrase of the prayer goes like this. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Forgiveness of sin is the greatest need of the human heart. Only God can grant us a pardon. And that's so important for us to understand. We, we think that we can just kind of do all of this on our own. And here we come back to understanding, again, we need, to him, we need him to provide for us daily and to forgive our sins. He is the only one that can pardon us from the punishment and the guilt that we hold on to. It's been my observation that there is one thing that troubles Christians more than probably anything else guilt we talked about this a little bit last week but while we may deal with oh the devil is attacking me the world is attacking me other christians are attacking me the worst one is that we beat up ourselves we punish ourselves relentlessly Romans 8.1 declares that there is therefore no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Let's claim it and live it out without being paralyzed by guilt and shame. Now having said that, notice that Jesus immediately gives a limitation. We are also to forgive others. Forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us this verse teaches us that it is wrong to ask God for what we're not willing to offer to other people. So let me ask you a question. Is there anyone who comes to mind right now that you need to forgive? Is there anyone right now that you need to seek out? That the, as the moment that this message is over, that you need to text, that you need to call, that you need to reach out to. Have you been holding someone captive? Is there someone in need of some grace? These are potent words, and we need to make sure that we really hold on to them. You see, when we fail to forgive someone we set ourselves up as a higher judge than God himself we must forgive. Matthew 5:23 through 24 tells us what to do if we know of someone who has something against us. Jesus says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Matthew 18, 15 urges us to to make things right when we have something against someone else. If your brother sins against you and Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained a brother. Have you been wronged by someone else? Have you sinned against someone else? Meet with them face to face. Express yourself. Let it go. Let it all go. Give it up to God. Give forgiveness. Seek forgiveness. Most of us grossly underestimate how committed God is to building and maintaining a loving community. We need to make sure that we're willing to just let it all go. Now we've come to our final point. Number six the protection of prayer. We've come to the last part of learning to pray the Lord's way. He says, and lead us not into temptation. Lead us not into temptation. The Greek word translated temptation, it's neutral, and it can refer to a test or a trial This phrase should be read, and lead us not into trials or testings that can turn into temptation. The word into means into the power of or into the hands of. God, keep us away from the things that lead us away from you. Don't allow us to go down that path. Now, he has given us free will. He is allowing us to go where we want to go. But we're saying, Lord don't allow us to head down that direction. And if we're truly focused in on who he is, if we have put him at the center of our lives, if he is in our heart, if we are saying, hallowed be your name, Father. Abba, Daddy, take care of me. We will be able to not allow ourselves to head into that direction. And so we are to ask God to keep us from falling into the power of trials and temptations. We're not strong enough to handle these on our own. Will God answer a prayer like this? Most definitely. You bet He will. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13 gives us a wonderful promise. Paul says... No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. I love that. God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can stand up under it. You know, a lot of people go, well, um, I don't understand why I'm going through all of these problems because God says that he will not allow me to tempt or be tempted beyond what I can bear. Well, he will, but it's with his help that we make it through it. And that's what we have to always remember and always, please, always remember that he is there with you. That he is protecting you. He will never leave you. He will never turn His back on you. Friends, ask God to lead you away from temptation. To keep you away from those trials. Now, it's in the middle of those trials and testings that we grow stronger, right? But He doesn't want us to go through undue pain and hurts in this life. When you're faced with an enticement to sin look for the way out too often we go well i'm gonna do it anyway so i might as well go ahead but instead what we've been called to do is to ask god to lead us away from it god is faithful He will not leave you to face temptations alone. You know, it would be awesome if Jesus were still here with us today. It would be great if he was still in our presence and we could learn directly from the master. But he made it very clear to those disciples that he needed to leave. Because we needed more than just our master with us teaching us and leading us we needed the Holy Spirit to come and live inside of us we needed that forgiveness of sins and so he chose to go to the cross and he did it for us and so we're now going to take communion we're gonna partake of these emblems and we're gonna remember what jesus did for us and why he did it he did it so that we could have forgiveness of sins he did it so that we could have the indwelling of the holy spirit that we could always go to him that he could intercede on our behalf and so we remember that sacrifice let's pray almighty father we thank you so much for today we thank you for the gift of your son We thank you that we can come into your presence, that we can learn from you, our master of how to pray. Not just reciting some prayer over and over and over again, but Father, truly having a conversation with you. And Father, as we prepare to partake of communion, I ask that you help us to remember what you did for us the bread that represents your body the juice that represents your blood that it was poured out for each and every one of us we pray this all in your son's most holy and precious name amen